Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and today on Face the Nation, Israel says an invasion of Gaza is imminent. Palestinians say the humanitarian crisis is dire, with more than a million Gazans trapped there. And the key question, will the conflict spread to other countries in the Mideast? Promising an invasion by land, sea and air, Israeli forces made last minute preparations to destroy Hamas in retaliation for last week's brutal massacre of hundreds of Israelis in a surprise attack. But there are more than a million Palestinians, plus foreign nationals and American citizens trapped in Gaza. And Israeli missiles have been decimating the densely populated region all week. Evacuation efforts are still underway, but time is running out. President Biden has made it clear. The United States, make no mistake about it, stands with Israel. The United States stands with Israel. But around the country and the world, Palestinian sympathizers are urging support for their cause. And security has been ramped up with the increased threat sparked by the Hamas attack. All the news plus analysis just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. As we come on the air, Israel is on the brink of an expanded war that could have enormous repercussions. The humanitarian situation in Gaza is grim and likely to worsen as thousands attempt to flee before the ground offensive starts. The United Nations warned yesterday that it would be impossible for such a rapid exodus of civilians without devastating humanitarian consequences. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in the region shuttling between Mideast countries to negotiate opening a crossing from Gaza into Egypt to get civilians out. Tomorrow, he plans to return to Tel Aviv for additional meetings with Prime Minister Netanyahu. We begin our coverage from Israel with CBS News foreign correspondent Charlie Daggett. We want to caution viewers, some of the content is quite distressing. Israeli artillery and airstrikes have pounded Gaza in one of the most intense sustained bombardments the narrow strip of land has ever seen. Authorities in Gaza say more than 2,300 people have been killed, a quarter of them children. Hundreds of thousands of people have been heeding warnings from the Israeli military in leaflets dropped from the sky to evacuate from north to south. The UN says nearly one million people have been displaced, nearly half the territory's population, with thousands crowding the Rafah crossing with Egypt, where CBS News found American Susan Paseso. The bombing, the killing, terrorizing kids, women, killing everybody. Also among those trying to escape, British schoolgirl Miriam. Every place I go, I go run away. I just find bombs and I find dead people. And like maybe one day I'll end up like them, but it's a really scary thing for me. <laughs> he 
Even under fire, Hamas continues to launch missiles into Israel. And sporadic fighting broke out on a second front after the militant group Hezbollah fired rockets into Israel from Lebanon. Nearer to Gaza, Israeli troops and armor are massing for an expected ground invasion on an unprecedented scale. The Kafar Azah kibbutz, where Hamas gunmen went on a murderous rampage against families and children, has now become an Israeli front line. Burnt out vehicles and destroyed homes, the corpses of Hamas gunmen left to rot where they fell. Drones buzzed overhead, explosions rang out as Colonel Golan Vash walked us through the bloody aftermath and blackened homes. You can still see the beast here in this bed. Mm-hmm. Two women. Women were lying. Murdered inside the safe room that was supposed to protect them. He was sitting here and shot everyone uh, that stepped outside. The Israelis called this the neighborhood of slaughter. Nearly every single resident was killed here. 66 people on the street alone. A lot of children? A lot of children. Some of them, some of the children tried to hide behind these bushes and they found them and they slaughtered them and they were happy. Amid the sadness here, a growing anger. Why weren't communities so close to Gaza better protected? And why did it take Israeli forces hours to respond? We failed. Period. We failed protecting the civilians. It shouldn't be happened. Not like this, never, not in this scale. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu convened the country's expanded emergency cabinet for the first time today, saying Hamas thought we would be demolished, but it is we who will demolish Hamas. Margaret? That's Charlie Dagada in Tel Aviv. We go now to Imtiaz Tayyip, who interviewed the political spokesman for Hamas yesterday. MTS? Well, Margaret, as you can imagine, this was a challenging and often combative interview with Dr. Ghazi Hamid, a spokesman for Hamas and senior member of its political bureau. Now, Dr. Hamid denied Hamas received any outside support for its attack on Israel, including from Iran, which contradicts earlier statements to the BBC that it did. Did you receive support from outside? Did you receive no. support from no, Iran? No, it is just a decision taken by Hamas only. You received no support from any any country outside of Gaza? No, 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 never. Now, he also denied Hamas fighters deliberately targeted civilians, saying their target was only the Israeli military and Israeli military infrastructure, something we, of course, challenged them on, given the vast amount of video evidence of Hamas fighters shooting at civilians in civilian areas. Now, as for why Hamas carried out such a brazen and brutal attack inside Israel, Dr. Hamid blames successive Israeli governments for refusing to end the now decades-long occupation of the Palestinian territories. He said Israel's current government, which is often described as extreme far-right, has pursued an agenda of such harsh and punitive measures against Palestinians, which is why, he says, Hamas carried out the devastating attack, an attack which, of course, has resulted in Gaza being bombed like never before, and a death toll there that already exceeds the four previous wars, something he blames squarely on Israel, but he would not take any responsibility for the Hamas attack being the trigger for this extraordinary violence. Now, when questioned about the dozens of hostages abducted by Hamas fighters and still being held captive inside Gaza, including some Americans, here's what he said. Why don't you just release the people who are abducted? Okay, we want, we want, first of all, we want to stop this daily death in Gaza, daily killing in Gaza. It is our priority now. Your priority should be how to stop killing, and, and this is genocide in Gaza. It is, it is really genocide in Gaza. And you heard that uh, even uh, international uh, Red Cross, all the international organizations, all of them say that situation in Gaza is catastrophic, is big disaster. We have to stop this. Maybe after that we can talk any about anything. Thank you. Imtiaz Tayyab in Jerusalem. Our Scott Pelley spoke with President Biden late last week for 60 Minutes about the Israel-Gaza crisis. Here's a preview. 
Are the wars in Israel and Ukraine more than the United States can take on at the no, same time? We're the United States of America, for God's sake. The most powerful nation in the history, not in the world, in the history of the world. The history of the world. We can take care of both of these and still maintain our overall international defense. We have the capacity to do this, and we have an obligation to. We are the essential nation, as to, to, to paraphrase the former Secretary of State. And if we don't, who does? Now, you can see more of Scott's interview with the president tonight on 60 Minutes at 7 p.m. Eastern. We go now to White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Jake, uh, I want to get straight to it. This is going to be very brutal urban warfare when Israel moves in to Gaza. How much time do you have to get the five to 600 Americans trapped there out? Well, Margaret, uh, we're in daily, indeed hourly contact with our counterparts in the Israeli Defense Forces and security services. We're talking to them about their plans uh, for moving in on the ground in Gaza. It's not for me to say what their timetable is. I think they will need to speak to that. Uh, but we are very focused on first, as you said, making sure that all American citizens in Gaza have safe passage out of Gaza and into Egypt. We're working on that round the clock. We're not going to rest until that happens. And second, we're very focused on making sure that the broader civilian population of Gaza, because the vast majority of Palestinians in Gaza have nothing to do with Hamas, mm -hmm. that they can get to safe areas, that they can get access to food, water, medicine, shelter, and that they can be protected from the fighting uh, as it intensifies and as a potential ground operation moves forward. If any of those Palestinian civilians are permitted to leave Gaza, does the United States have assurances from Israel that they will eventually be allowed to return to their homes or will they just become refugees? The United States is a very simple proposition on this. Is when people leave their homes in conflict, leave their houses in conflict, they deserve the right to return to those homes, to those houses. And this situation is no different. The United States deployed a second aircraft carrier to the eastern Mediterranean. I'm wondering if you have new intelligence that shows that the threat from Iran is growing? We don't have some specific new intelligence that the threat is different today from yesterday. The threat yesterday was real. The threat today is real. There is a risk of an escalation of this conflict, the opening of a second front in the north, and of course of Iran's involvement. That is a risk, and that's a risk that we have been mindful of since the start. It's why the president moved so rapidly and decisively uh, to get an aircraft carrier into the eastern Mediterranean, to get aircraft into the Gulf, uh, because he wants to send a very clear message of deterrence to any state or any actor that would seek to exploit this situation. Well, Iran's foreign minister uh, put out a public statement uh, saying that Iran cannot remain a spectator. What does that mean to you? Are you concerned about proxy forces or are you concerned that the state of Iran is getting drawn in? Well, first, we are concerned about proxy forces. Uh, Lebanese Hezbollah, proxy force of Iran, is there a raid on Israel's northern border with uh, considerable military capacity uh, and a history of attacking the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we have seen in the last few days skirmishes across that northern border that only enhances the risk of escalation. But of course, we can't rule out that Iran would choose to get directly engaged some way. We have to prepare for every possible contingency. Is there diplomatic outreach to Iran right now? We have means of communicating privately with Iran, uh, and we have availed ourselves of those means over the past few days to make clear privately that which we have said publicly. But there are two million Palestinians living there, who, as you said, um, many of whom have absolutely nothing to do with Hamas. So. At this point, are you expecting Israeli military forces to occupy that area long term? Who steps in and governs if Hamas is rooted out? These are important long term questions to begin asking and grappling with today. We believe that Israel is grappling with them. We are talking to them about them. It is absolutely critical, as President Biden said from the very beginning, uh, that uh, we as fellow democracies, the U.S. and Israel, that we embrace the rule of law and the laws of war. And the United States will work with Israel, the United Nations, Egypt, Jordan, and other countries uh, to do all that we can to ensure the protection of civilians and that those civilians have access to the basic necessities of food and water, of shelter, of medicine. Uh, that is a, a priority of ours. And the targeting of that kind of basic infrastructure 
is potentially a war crime, is it not? There's a lot of fog of war. What we will say is the protection of civilians and the protection uh, of those people who are trying to get to safety as well as their ability to access food, water, medicine, shelter, these things uh, should be respected and should very much uh, be a central focus of everyone involved in this, including ourselves, the Israelis, the United Nations, yeah. and the regional countries. The Palestinian Authority a long time ago uh, renounced violence. I saw President Biden spoke to Mahmoud Abbas yesterday. Um, is your expectation that the Palestinian Authority would potentially govern Gaza? And how concerned are you that violence will spread in the West Bank? Look, again, I think you're asking a very important question about uh, the long term in Gaza. What I will say is this, Gaza being governed by a brutal and vicious terrorist uh, organization is not just a challenge for the state of Israel, it's a challenge for the Palestinian people because Hamas does not represent their highest aspirations. Hamas is not uh, looking out for caring one iota about their welfare and well-being. So the Palestinian people in Gaza do deserve a leadership that allows them to live lives in peace and dignity and security. Uh, what that exactly looks like going forward, uh, I'm not in a position to say today, but it is the right question to be asking now as this unfolds, because we have to think not just about the immediate term, but about the long term, too. This is not the only crisis you're dealing with. There's still a land war in Europe. Um, you said just a few days ago to congressional leaders that U.S. aid to Ukraine was running dangerously low. That, as there's a renewed offensive. Um, how close to crisis are we are that, on that front? We can continue to sustain deliveries of critical ammunition for them to defend against that Russian offensive and continue pressing forward in other areas in Ukraine. And you're right, Margaret, that Russian offensive is very much underway. The Russians are throwing a lot at the Ukrainians in the northeast and the east. And we need to make sure that we continue rushing necessary uh, military supplies to them. We're doing that. But we need Congress to act. And the president has made clear that he is going to go to Congress with a package of funding for Ukraine, as well as continued support for Israel. You can expect intensive engagement with Congress this very week as we work uh, on such a package and seek to secure bipartisan support for it. And that's a $2 billion package that would bundle Ukraine, Israel, the border, support for Taiwan altogether? Well, the number is gonna be significantly higher than that, but uh, it will, as I said, certainly include uh, the necessary military equipment to defend freedom, sovereignty, and territorial integrity in Ukraine, and to help Israel defend itself uh, as it fights its terrorist foes. Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor to the President, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. And we'll be right back, so stay with us. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors, like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream, are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. We go now to Florida Governor and Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis, and he joins us from Tallahassee. Good morning to you, Governor. Good morning. You're running to be the next commander in chief, so I want to focus on some of the crises we're seeing right now. You were once uh, a Navy JAG, which means you advised on uh, the law of armed conflict. With Israel about to launch this invasion of Gaza, I wonder what you would advise them in terms of distinguishing between legitimate targets and civilians. 
Well, one, Israel has a right to defend itself to the hilt, and that means the complete elimination of Hamas, the eradication of their terrorist infrastructure. Israel has put out warnings to civilians about where Israel is going to conduct operations and has told civilians there to leave the area. Hamas is telling those civilians to stay in the area. So they're using the civilians as human shields. So, of course, when you're in war, you want to avoid that. But if there are civilian casualties, that's the fault of Hamas. That's not going to be the fault of Israel. But would you advise, for example, the Israeli military to avoid attacking infrastructure to provide water and electricity as they have done? Well, Margaret, the Hamas is holding people hostage still. You have Israelis being held hostage as well as Americans being held hostage. I understand I don't that. Think they're under, but I don't think they're under an obligation to be providing water and these utilities while those hostages are being held. Hamas should return those hostages uh, before any discussions are had. And it's a disgrace what they're doing. And Israel has every right to use all the pressure that they can to get those people back. There are 2.3 million people living in Gaza. Collective punishment is something you support? It's not collective punishment. Hamas is the one that is creating this predicament. Hamas is the one who always uses civilian targets to conduct operations. And we dealt with this some in Iraq where al-Qaeda in Iraq would commandeer mosques. So mm -hmm. under normal circumstances, of course, you don't target a religious institution. But if you have terrorist groups that are converting that in to a base of operations, then you absolutely treat that as military targets. But that's because Hamas is making those decisions to convert that infrastructure into the use uh, for terrorist purposes. Is there any caution you would give to the Israeli military? Would you ask, for example, the prime minister to hold off until the five to 600 Americans who are trapped in Gaza manage to get out? Well, look, I think that that's something in terms of um, those that, of course, you would have discussions with. We would be willing to do, if I was president, uh, apply resources to be able to help any American who is either being captured or in harm's way. I would note, uh, I, as governor of Florida, have actually launched flights to bring Americans home from the war zone now. We're going to have the first flights of landing in Florida today. We're going to bring hundreds of people back uh, from Israel mm -hmm. to the state of Florida, and they've had trouble dealing with the federal government. So, of course, that's an important thing that you want to consider. Right. Uh, but there are five to 600 Americans stuck in Gaza specifically. Um, and, and let me ask you a little bit more about that, because of the two million people who live in Gaza, half of them are under the age of 18. Let's take a listen to something you said yesterday. We cannot accept people from Gaza into this country as refugees. I am not going to do that. Uh, if you look at how they behave, not all of them are Hamas, but they are all anti-Semitic. I'm sure you know all Arabs are Semites, but how can you paint with such a broad brush to say 2.3 million people are anti-Semitic? Well, first of all, uh, my position is very clear. Uh, those Gaza refugees, Palestinian Arabs, should go to Arab countries. The U.S. should not be absorbing um, any of those. I think the culture, so they elected Hamas. Let's just be clear about that. Not everyone's a member of Hamas. Most probably aren't, but they did elect Hamas. In 2006, and then system, the military occupation happened after that, where well, they went in and haven't finish, allowed elections since 2007. So in 2006, there was I know, an election. But there was a lot of, there was a lot of, there was a lot of celebrating of those attacks um, in the Gaza Strip uh, by, by a lot of those folks who were not Hamas. But if you look at their education system, this has been an issue for a long time. They teach kids to hate Jews. The textbooks do not have Israel even on the map. Uh, they prepare very young kids uh, to commit terrorist attacks. So I think it's a toxic culture. And I think if we were to import large numbers of those to the United States, I think it would increase anti-Semitism in this country. And I think it would increase anti-Americanism yeah. in this country. And that's something, after seeing those demonstrations, pop up in our country, just with, with blood still flowing amongst Israeli citizens over the weekend, mm -hmm. uh, you had people taking to the streets cheering on the barbarism of Hamas in our own country. That was a chilling uh, thing to see, uh, and I don't think that that's something that we should ever think is acceptable. No, uh, but no one's talking about getting Gazan refugees here right now. They can't even get out of Gaza at the moment. Well, people uh, have that's... mentioned it. I think some of the far left have said this is something that we should do. 
the U.S. has done done similar things in the past. And so I just put my stake in the ground. Okay. Uh, that's where we're going to be. And I think that uh, everyone running for president on the Republican side should follow suit. I want to pick back up. You just heard the president's national security advisor say that uh, the request to Congress will be for well beyond $2 billion in support. That is for Israel. That is for Ukraine. In the past, you said you don't want a blank check to Ukraine. Do you want a blank check to Israel? No, I think that there's uh, actually two different uh, things. One, with Israel, we've provided a lot of support since its inception, about $158 billion in the last 75 years. We've done over $120 billion just for Ukraine in two years. So it's a different level that we're talking about. Also with Israel, uh, they've never asked us to displace their responsibility. They take their defense very seriously. What we do complements and supplements what they're already doing for themselves. But they are not going to ask us uh, to fight this war for them. We have a longstanding security relationship. They're a very strong and longstanding ally. And we'll be uh, willing to support in the traditional ways that we have. There are no U.S. troops fighting in Ukraine. No, but Margaret, what Biden's policy is, is, is a blank check in his own words for as long as it takes. Uh, they have not articulated uh, what the concept of victory is going to be. In fact, people have said this is going to go right. on for another five or six years. That would yeah. require potentially hundreds of billions of dollars more. We're not just sending weapons. We're paying salaries for Ukrainian bureaucrats, funding yeah. small business ventures, all kinds of things. So I think if you look, as you mentioned Iraq, and I served there, uh, our foreign policy the last 20, 30 years has suffered when we don't have a clear concept of victory, when we have conflicts mm -hmm. like Iraq and like Afghanistan, where we don't have a clear resolution. So he owes a strategy to the Congress, and I think most Republicans, or a lot of the Republicans right. in the Congress, are going to insist on that uh, before they authorize additional money. We don't have a clear definition of success from the Israeli prime minister either. Uh, I asked the national security advisor, uh, and he just said well, generally I actually think safety, we do. the Jewish state. I think we do, with all respect. I mean, I think, I think he has said that uh, it is the, the total and complete defeat of Hamas uh, where they're no longer existing uh, as a functioning entity. I think that that is achievable. I think Israel can do that, and I think they have every right, and indeed, I think they have the duty to do that. So what is your view, then, on who should rule the 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza? Do you fundamentally believe that they have a right to their own state, or do you want Israel to maintain a military occupation after they go through this invasion? Well, uh, Israel's not occupying it. They pulled out in 2005. Right, but they're about to now invade. They're obviously well, no, no. Well, of course. Well, I, we'll have to see how that goes. I, I mean, I would say this. There have been generous offers by Israel to provide Palestinian Arab states. Of course, you go back to 1948. They had an opportunity to have an Arab state and the Arabs rejected it and went to war. So they've always cared more about eliminating the Jewish state than they have about receiving their own state. And I'm not sure that that's changed in terms of their outlook. Uh, so they? we'll see what happens as this... Excuse me? I'm sorry, who is they? The Palestinian Arabs in both the West Bank and Gaza, uh, the, their the Palestinian view has authority been, is moving towards a, a, a two state solution. That's why I asked if you had support for a two state solution. Well, they've solution. rejected that in the past. Uh, Arafat rejected it uh, in 2000. It was a ridiculous deal. It probably would have put Israel in situations where they would have had some serious security concerns, but they were willing to go forward. And I think the history of the last 75 years. Israel's always been willing to take tough steps for peace, and they've always had rejection on the other side, and the other side has typically chosen war. So that's the cycle. So I would not push Israel to grant statehood to people that don't recognize their right to exist as a Jewish state. Well, Palestinian Authority does, but uh, I hear you personally do not support that. L let me ask you about something here at home when it comes to the U.S. border. Um, and there's talk right now about the need to provide more aid you in the path to the U.S. border. You in the past have said um, you would authorize the U.S. military to go to the U.S. border and shoot cartel members. You told my colleague Nora O'Donnell, quote, when somebody's got a backpack on and they're breaking through the wall, you know, that's hostile intent and you have every right to take action under those circumstances. Can you explain how that would work? Would a soldier have to ask his commanding officer for permission before he shoots anyone wearing a backpack? Or is this just a blanket shoot anyone with a backpack? 
Well, first, uh, cartels are invading this country and they are killing tens of thousands of our fellow citizens with fentanyl. And this is happening in communities all across our country. We have every right and duty to fight back against that. It's typical how you would have with law enforcement or military. You define rules of engagement. They positively identify somebody that's hostile, either action or intent, and they engage. But we are going to engage. The days of our communities being ravaged by fentanyl are going to be over. Yes, we're going to yeah. stop the invasion. Yes, we're going to build the wall. We're going to do all those things. We'll deport people when they come illegally. But you have to hold the cartels accountable, and I'll do that as commander-in-chief. Right. Well, I think a lot of Americans would support that, uh, given how terrible fentanyl is. But in terms of the specific proposal here, how would you differentiate who's a threat? How, how would you say shoot people wearing backpacks? Well, be, Margaret, when you're down at the border, I mean, you see like the cartels will actually have lookouts where they'll just uh, bring people across. Uh, they will have. Yes, they will be carrying how do you know what's in the uh, different types of. Well, you have to make those judgments uh, based on intelligence and all the other things that you do. But I can tell you this. Once you show the willingness to actually take this threat seriously, you are going to change their behavior. They're eating our lunch at the border right now because we don't do anything to fight back. That's going to change on January 20th, 2025. Governor, thank you for coming on the program today. We hope you'll come back and we'll be right back. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We go now to the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Turner, who joins us from Dayton. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning, Margaret. Um, we heard the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, say that the request to Congress will be significantly higher than $2 billion in terms of aid for Ukraine and for Israel. Uh, what can you tell us about what is needed? Well, I, I met with him and members of the National Security Council with my the counterpart, Jim Himes, at the end of last week. And they're talking in terms of a quad of really of a need of a national security package. And that is um, certainly the border, uh, additional funds there for border control, uh, the border barrier, the wall that the administration has now said needs to go forward in, in areas. Uh, Ukraine, um, obviously, uh, now that we're dealing with this, this crisis with Israel, uh, bolstering our support for them, and then also looking in the southeast as to what we might be able to do to support Taiwan. Is they're putting those together so that, that we don't piecemeal this and we look at this as an overall national security package, it'll give us a better understanding of ability to have a debate as to what's needed from the United States. Don't piecemeal this, you said. So you support bundling all of those things together. Do you think your fellow Republicans will support that? You know, at this point, Margaret, we're having a hard time keeping the House floor open. I don't want to have <laughs> to keep trying to bring people in and convince them to vote for, um, you know, minor pieces of overall security uh, bills that we know are going to have to come to the House floor over the next this year and, and next. Well, to that point, because, of course, Congress is paralyzed until a speaker is chosen. Um, do you know how long it will take before Republicans can select a speaker so you can do this important business? 
No, and this really is the tragedy. As you know, you know Kevin McCarthy was fired because uh, he had sought a bipartisan solution to keep the government open. And those who wanted to close down the government instead of close down the House of Representatives with the aides of, of Democrats. Uh, you know, this was a this is a very bad deal for America. It certainly was a bad deal for Hakeem Jeffries as he got all the Democrats to vote with less than you know, the vote was less than four percent of Republican votes to take down a speaker who is working for bipartisanship. It's going to be hard for them in the future when they want to work in bipartisanship when they fired the guy that was sitting there for doing so. But so in the past, you've supported Jim Jordan. He doesn't have the votes right now to become speaker. Uh, Kevin McCarthy acknowledged as much on, on another network this morning. Right. And he's working to do so. Kevin, when he first came out of conference where you're nominated to be speaker, also did not have enough votes to be like speaker. Well, actually, he didn't have enough votes when he first got to the House floor. And then the the coalition formed that elected him. Uh, Jordan's working right now to put that coalition together to get to 217. So do the allegations that he turned a blind eye to sexual assault at Ohio University cause any problems for you or the allegations that he had knowledge of Donald Trump's attempts on January 6th and leading up to it to stop the election certification? Well, first, Margaret, the, the allegations at, at Ohio State, there's not w- one person who's ever said that they have knowledge of Jim Jordan having any knowledge. And what occurred at Ohio State wasn't even under Jim Jordan. He was not the, the head coach. This was not something that he had responsibility for. So those that are making accusations are making you know, just presumptions of, well, he ha- would have had to have known. But it, it, there's no one, I mean, mind you, this was years ago, no one who has come forward at all ever and ever said that there was actual knowledge on Jim Jordan's part. And of course, he condemns what, what occurred there. With respect to Donald Trump, I, you know, that, that's a mess that's going to continue going on, on the issue of January 6th. And Americans are going to be able to have that debate as we go forward in this next election cycle. So no, no pause on your point part for Jim Jordan. Uh, do you think that there is an alternate here where Republicans work with Democrats to find a mutually acceptable speaker? Well, you know, I, I, that, that would not be my preference since Hakeem Jeffries walked away from the opportunity to do that when, uh, when Kevin McCarthy was on the floor. You know, the vote on the floor was, should the speaker, Kevin McCarthy, be removed and every Democrat, 208 of them, voted to remove Kevin McCarthy. So at this point, I, I would prefer there to be you know, a Republican solution because when, when they rejected bipartisanship, it's kind of hard to then go back to it. Mm-hmm. But we have a lot of people on the bench. Uh, I think uh, Jim Jordan will be an excellent speaker. I think he'll be able to get to 217. If not, we have other leaders in the House. And certainly, if there is a need, if the radical, you know, almost just handful of people in the Republican side make it unable, make it us unable to be able to return to general work on the House. Then I mm-hmm. think obviously there will a deal will have to be done. Wow, um, I want to also ask you about a comment you made on this program recently. You were talking about classified documents um, mishandled by the current president, and you said uh, that when it came to Biden and Trump, they're both equally egregious with equal classification issues. Um, This past week, President Biden was interviewed by special counsel Robert Herr. Um, Will there be legal consequences? Will your committee do anything to act on this? I mean, and what exactly do you mean equally egregious? Well, when you look at the documents, both the the classification level and the subject matter, um, both sides, Trump and Biden's documents, if they had been released in the public or gotten into the hands of nefarious parties, would be damaging to the United States national security. When I look at those documents, there are documents on both sides, equally egregious, that would have negative consequences to our means, methods, techniques, and, and our allies. Now, in this instance, I think President Biden needs the same consequence that, that, that they pursue with, with President Trump, that the actions are, are the same. And in this instance, if you notice, you're getting, leak, you're getting leak after leak after leak on the Trump documents. You're hearing nothing on the Biden documents. So you're continuing to see the inequality that comes out of the Justice Department as there's silence on the other side with respect to Biden's. Uh, and by the way, he was a he was a serial classified document hoarder. I reviewed documents that were from yeah. all the time that he's, he's been in government. Uh, this really is a very serious breach by President Biden. Just to, to be clear here, though, are you saying that President Biden had top secret and TSSCI classification level documents in his personal home? That, that's, that, that's, that's public already, uh, Margaret. That, that is, so I'm not confirming something that, that people don't already know. That is correct. Okay, so 
I think you're saying that he should be indicted when you say treated the same? I think they need to be treated exactly the same. Now, they're continuing their investigation with, with President Biden. I don't think if President Biden, in the end, has been found to violate the law, and I believe from what I've seen that he has, that he should be treated any differently than Donald Trump. I mean, why would he? Uh, just because he's president or because he's a Democrat? And that's how the Department of Justice has been acting. They need to be treated the same. But have you seen evidence of a, of a crime? It sounds like that's what you are saying. I have seen evidence of the fact that classified documents of some of the highest levels have been mishandled by President Biden. Yes. Mike Turner, uh, we will stay tuned to watch what happens uh, with your party in the coming days and stay in touch. We'll be back in a moment. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Retired General Frank McKenzie last served as the commander of U.S. Central Command and oversaw military operations in the Middle East, Central Asia, parts of South Asia. And he joins us now from Tampa, Florida. Good morning to you, General. Good morning, Margaret. Uh, we want to get your perspective as to the very dynamic situation on the ground. Uh, earlier today, when I spoke with Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, he said there was no specific change in intelligence that led the U.S. to send that second aircraft carrier to the eastern Mediterranean. But he said there is a real risk of the state of Iran getting involved. Uh, how do you see that threat right now? So I think that the second carrier is designed to send a strong message to Iran that we have the, that, that, that uh, they're not going to be able to act uh, with malice to get into this conflict. We would like to keep them out of it. What the second carrier does, along with the ships that are associated with both those uh, uh, big deck carriers, is it gives a ballistic missile defense capability to Israel. Uh, should Iran elect to fire their large stable of ballistic missiles toward Israel, would be able to assist Israel in intercepting them, wh which would then allow Israel to conduct other tasks. Largely, though, it's, it increases uh, flexibility and options for our president should he need to, to do something in the region. So a, a U.S. official told our um, David Martin this morning that a Marine Expeditionary Unit, which had been conducting an exercise in Kuwait, is back on board a ship in the Red Sea waiting to hear about movement into the eastern Mediterranean. Does that signify anything more to you? I think it's all uh, part of the same thing. What we want to do is send a strong signal, I think, to Iran and to Lebanese Hezbollah, particularly up in Lebanon, that now is not the time to enter this conflict. I think the Israelis have the capabilities they need to conduct their Gaza operation. But I think what we're really trying to do is prevent the conflict from widening at this time. And I think all these actions are designed to establish that. So give us a sense here. Um, you know, Israel is a very advanced military. They have a lot of technology. They have a lot of surveillance power. But then they just had this massive intelligence failure. So as they are about to launch this ground invasion, what are the things that are of concern to you about how this is going to play out? Well, first, Margaret, I think when we go back and look at what happened in the run-up to the attacks the last weekend, we're going to find that there were indicators there. You always look back in hindsight. You can find things that were evident, things that you should have seen. So I think that, that will probably humble the intel guys a little bit as we look at going into Gaza. Uh, the Gaza problem is an extremely difficult urban environment. 
urban fighting is uh, fighting where technology is the ability of a technolo technologically advanced force is begins to be limited because you're in very close quarters with a potential enemy. You're fighting on the ground. You're fighting below the ground in sewers and in the elaborate tunnel system that Hamas has erected, and you're fighting at low-level altitude. It, now, Israel has clear air supremacy over Gaza, but we should expect Hamas to try to fly drones, even as the Israelis will fly their large uh, inventory of highly capable drones. So it's going to be a very bloody, tough, ugly fight, and it's going to come down to an infantry fight, uh, young men and women at very close quarters. And Israel doesn't have a lot of e recent experience in that kind of fighting. The U.S. does. Uh, in Iraq, certainly in Fallujah, the Marines did. Um, is that the kind of uh, advice that you think the U.S. military is providing to the Israeli military right now, how to do that kind of urban warfare? I'm sure it is, although the Israelis I know have done a great deal of thinking about it. Their, their main battle tank, the Merkava, is a tank that is optimized for urban warfare, has the engine in front, which, which not a lot of tanks in the world do, has a troop compartment for carrying troops in back. The Israelis have given this a lot of thought, and I have high regard for the IDF and their ability to prosecute this fight. We just need to realize it's going to be, a, uh, it's going to be an, ugly, an ugly affair. It's going to drag on probably longer than people want. Israel is going to go to great lengths to avoid collateral civilian casualties. Hamas is going to go to great lengths to kill more civilians, to place them directly in harm's way so that they can profit in the information sphere. Israel's defense minister said Israel won't shoot civilians on purpose, but the camouflage of the terrorists is the civilian population. Um, how, how difficult is it going to be to avoid large-scale civilian casualties? That is going to put a lot of pressure on the world to get Israel to be very cautious in the coming weeks. Margaret, you're right, and I believe that Israel will go to great lengths to avoid civilian casualties. The fact of the matter is, though, there are going to be civilian casualties, principally because Hamas is going to create circumstances, for example, by basing their rockets in schools, in mosques, in hospitals, and in other locations where uh, civilians are gathered. They're going to they're create every opportunity uh, for civilian casualties to occur. So Israel is going to have to work very hard at this, and they're not going to be perfect. Their mistakes are certainly going to be made, and it's tragic to predict it now, but civilians are going to die. But I think there's a clear philosophical uh, distinction between the two actors here. Israel is going to seek to minimize those casualties. Hamas is not going to seek to minimize those casualties. So there's no sense of equivalence yeah. in this fight. The U.S. has troops in Syria and Iraq, a small number. What would draw the United States into it? I think we would seek to stay out of it as best we could. I think we have undoubtedly sent messages at the diplomatic level about the force protection and the security of our forces in Iraq and Syria. Uh, and I believe that uh, moving the two carriers into the region sends a very strong signal. There is ample historical evidence that Iran respects the flow of combat forces into the theater. It does affect their decision calculus. And as Iran's decision calculus is affected, so is Lebanese Hezbollah's calculus affected. I want to ask you about something that former President Trump said on Wednesday. Um, he said in regard to the drone strike that took out Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard in January 2020, he said Israel pulled out of the operation and, quote, Bibi Netanyahu let us down. That was a very terrible thing. Did Israel pull out and let America down? Margaret, I'm I, unable to know of any communication, of course, between President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu, but I can tell you that this was a U.S. operation. So that would mean that's not accurate? That would mean that this was a U.S. operation. It involved only U.S. forces in the operational design and the execution of the mission. Understood. Um, you, when you were with us recently, said that Iran is the most significant threat to peace in the region. Iran's supreme leader says his country did not play a role in the Hamas attack on Israel. Do you buy that? I, I believe it's likely they did not know the date or time of this particular attack, but Iran, by supporting Hamas with hundreds of millions of dollars down through the years, by providing them with equipment, by providing them with training, and, and by supporting their ideology, is certainly the moral author of this attack even if they didn't know the exact, timing, the exact timing of this particular attack. Do you think this will engage the state of Iran in this fight eventually? 
I think we're going to try very hard to keep Iran out of it. And I think the actions the administration have taken are all good to that end. I think, again, Iran respects power. We're flowing power back into the region. And I think it will have an effect on them. General McKenzie, thank you for your insights. We'll be right back. That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, Florida Governor and 2024 GOP candidate Ron DeSantis, Chair of the Intelligence Committee, Ohio Republican Congressman Mike Turner, and retired General Frank McKenzie, the former commander of U.S. Central Command. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern, and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit Cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.